0: If you have a Bible with you, you're looking at John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. And I was, I was thinking as I was standing there, I've I preached highlights from the book of John before, but I've never preached straight through like we are now. And this is one of those passages where I felt like I started to study and I stepped into the deep end all of a sudden, <laughs> like, like it's woof. So we'll see how it goes today. And so hear the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that the dead uh, would hear your voice and live. I pray that you be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. Well, let me start with a question, as I often do. If you're you're familiar with um, theatrical terms or narrative terms or fiction, you you might be familiar with this term called the reveal or the big reveal. Are you familiar familiar with that? And, and, And whether or not you know what I'm talking about now, you are familiar with it. What the big reveal is, is it typically is some plot twist, or it's typically something that's revealed that you're surprised at, that you're like, whoa, I, I didn't know that, or wow. Like, for example, and forgive me if you haven't seen movies that have been out for 30 years, but like when Darth Vader reveals that he's Luke's father, right? Like, when you first see that, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Right? Of course, if you ever seen Pitch Perfect, she tells the, uh, the, this guy like that. Basically, Darth Vader literally means dark father. Like, so you should have seen it coming. Um, but it, or, or like, if you've ever seen Shrek, which you should have, when you find out that the beautiful princess Fiona is an ogre, you're like, what? Now she and Shrek can fall in love and live happily ever after, right? It's, it's like so these things that like surprise you. And so we're looking at this passage today, and there's a big reveal. In fact, this is one of the biggest reveals, maybe, in the whole Bible. Because remember, last week we looked at Jesus healing a man who had been laying by this pool, maybe for 38 years. He'd been sick for 38 years, we know that. Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And the man was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. And Jesus healed him anyway. And he did it on the Sabbath. And so when Jesus did that, then the religious police came after Jesus, and it says not only were they upset at him for breaking the Sabbath but because he called God his own Father and made himself equal with God. In other words, if you remember, I made the case that God God never rests completely. He rested from his work of creation, but he didn't rest from his providence, his merciful caring for everything. And Jesus says, just like the Father is always working like that, I'm always working like that. And they got so angry that they wanted to kill him. Now what's interesting is they haven't even gotten the big reveal yet. That's what's coming. It's almost as if this next passage, Jesus is continuing that conversation, and you almost want to see inserted there, you haven't seen anything yet. If you were upset because you thought, I I said I could work on the Sabbath because my father works on the Sabbath, wait till you hear what comes next. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three things... And although these aren't I am statements, remember John has seven big sort of I am statements, these are definitely in that category. They're they're claims that Jesus makes, and there's three big ones here. And the three big claims that Jesus makes is that he is the perfect son, that he, Jesus, is the giver of life, just as God is the giver of life, and that he is the final judge. Right, that he's not only the Savior, but he's the one before whom every human being will have to stand. Which makes things a little bit more interesting with regard to people, with him calling people to trust him. So, with that said, Jesus is the perfect son, he's the life giver, and he's the final judge. Let's look first at Jesus, the perfect son. Notice in verse 19 and 20, I'll read those again. It says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but whatever he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. So notice that in this passage we looked at, there's three times, which I don't know if this ever has happened before, there's three times where Jesus uses this this phrase, truly, truly. Truly. Or, or Amen, Amen, and that's sort of a prophetic formulation that says, I'm not looking for your approval. This is what God says. I'm speaking with complete authority, and so He says, Truly, truly, I tell you this. And He opens up with what a lot of commentators think is almost like a parable, and they think it's like a parable because it's the language of apprenticeship here. Right? He says the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise in other words some people say that what jesus is doing here is he's likening himself to the father's apprentice and in the ancient near east the majority of sons at least the way they learned a trade is they would apprentice with their father if they couldn't apprentice with their father, they'd find someone else to. But they would, they would apprentice with their father, and the way that they would learn a trade, like carpentry, for example, is they would watch the father be a, a carpenter, and they would just do exactly what the father did, and eventually they would become a carpenter like him. And from that perspective, sure, that, that makes sense, that Jesus is saying that I'm in, perfect, I'm in sync with the father, right? That the, the, the father and I are on the same page of music, something like that but I think there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more to it because of one word and one word that changes everything and it changes the way that Jesus comes across to the religious leaders, it's the way that Jesus' claim comes across to us and it's the word the, It's a definite article. Notice what he, it says, he says that um, for the father loves the son and, and it says truly, truly, I see the son can do nothing of his own accord. The father loves the son and shows him all this that he is doing. Why is that so important? Because Jesus, he's not. Saying, he's saying I am the son, I'm not a son. I'm not one of many sons, right? He, he doesn't say a son, generally speaking, sees what the father is doing and follows after. He says the son does it. As if there is only one son of God the father in heaven. There is one unique son. And that's also the language used of elder sons. In, in other words, in the ancient Near East, the oldest son inherited everything. Right? That's why there was such, a, such conflict in the parable of the, the prodigal son, because the older son was upset that the father gave the younger son anything. The older son, by, by the time the, the older son became an adult, he was set to inherit everything. He was functionally looked at as being the father's equal. So in other words, what Jesus is saying here is, I'm the perfect son, not, not only I'm the perfect son, because I always do what the Father does. I always do what I see the Father doing. But I am the Son. I'm the one who will inherit everything. And I am basically equal with Him. That's a pretty tremendous claim. That's the one they were, they were upset with them before, that I'm equal with the Father by being the Son. And basically, Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us. And why is that so important? Remember in John 14.9, I believe, he tells uh, Philip, he says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. It's important to understand that Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us, that whatever Jesus sees the Father doing, that's what Jesus does. So that, what that means is whatever you see Jesus doing, that's what the Father is doing. And I think that's important because a lot of us in our minds, we sort of split God and Jesus apart, and God is sort of the angry parent. Right, God's the parent. Like someday, you know, I, I got to be good because God the Father is up there, and He's just like gonna, He's wagging His head at all my sin. And and if I get in trouble, boy, I don't want God the Father to hear about it. But Jesus, oh sweet Jesus, He's so nice. If I if I want if I want to get mercy, I go to Jesus, right? And some of your homes are like that too, right? It's like you, you at least mine was. You get in trouble, it's like you you start doing this calculation in your head: is it better to go to my father or my mother? Which is going to be the least painful right now? And the point I'm making is this: is that if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. If you've seen the mercy of Jesus, you've seen the mercy of the Father. The grace of Jesus, you've seen the grace of the Father. That whatever you see Jesus doing, that is what the Father is doing. That's what the Father is concerned about. So if you look at Jesus and say, wow, Jesus is merciful and gracious and He gave everything for me. Guess what? We ought to think the same thing of the Father. That the Father gave the Son. The Father didn't, didn't sort of like say well you know i guess if you got to go down and die for those people it hurt the father as much as it hurt the son that the father and the son are one whatever you see the father doing you see the son doing the son is the exact representation of the father now think about that sort of mind blowing that he who created the heavens and earth he who created the, the worlds and the the billions and billions of galaxies everything became a human so that we could actually see what he was like And so when you see Jesus, you have seen the Father. And so that leads us to the next point, because basically Jesus says this. He says in verse 20, he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. I think he's referring back to the healing of the man and his work on the Sabbath. Right? They're, they're like really sort of hurt and you know angry that Jesus either ha, ha, not only has healed this man, but he's healed him on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, greater things than these. Is this God going to show the Son? In other words, greater things than these am I going to do so that you may marvel. In other words, he's saying to these religious leaders, you haven't seen anything yet. You're upset because I've claimed equality with God. Wait till you hear what comes next. It's almost like he's got a death wish. Wait till you hear what comes next. What comes next is Jesus claims that he himself is the giver of life. Look at verse 21. He says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Look at 25. He says, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So the two things we learn about the Father is that the Father raises the dead, or the Father is able to raise the dead, and that the Father has life in himself. In other words, the Father has self-existence. The Father doesn't depend on anything else for his existence. Everything else depends on the Father for its existence. So the father has has raised the dead. The father has life in himself. And that point would have surprised nobody. Everyone believed that. At least the religious leaders, the Jewish, that Jesus was talking to. Everyone believed that that God had that. In fact, the rabbis had three keys that belonged to God only, they would say. In other words, God possessed three keys that he didn't delegate to other people. And what were those keys? Those keys were the key of rain. I guess to make rainfall. The key of the womb whether to open or close it, and the last key would be the key of the resurrection of the dead. So the rabbis believed that there are three things that God and only God can do. He can make it rain, he can open the womb, or he can raise the dead. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, guess what, guys? He gave me a set of those keys. I have a set of those keys. And if they say, "Well, he doesn't give keys to the representative, Jesus would say, I know. What's his point? Is that not only does God have the the ability to raise the dead, but Jesus has the ability to raise the dead because just as God has life in himself, Jesus has life in himself. In order to create everything, God had to have life in himself in order to to create, in order to recreate or to regenerate, Jesus must have life in himself. Notice what he says, verse 21. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. In other words, Jesus is claiming that He has the same prerogative as the Father. You ever heard me pray this? Open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. What am I asking? I'm asking that God would show His prerogative and open the eyes of those who are blind and those who are dead. Because those who are blind can't see and those who are dead can't, well, they can't do anything. And Jesus says, I have the same power as God to open those eyes. We see him doing it through the New Testament. I have the same power that God has to raise the dead. We see him doing that in the New Testament. Later on, a big one's going to happen when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And notice the way that he raises the dead is by means of his voice. He says, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live for as the Father has granted him life in himself, so the Son is granted to have also to have life in himself. So what's interesting is that he says there's the, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear his voice. In other words, he's using this eschatological language, or end times language, and he says that the, the hour is coming, this end times is coming, and now is. Right now. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and live now who are all these dead people that he's talking about all you have to do is look around you maybe not in this room because most people have been made alive but, but most of the world who does not know Jesus who has not embraced Jesus the Bible said would say that by nature they are dead in their trespasses in fact let me read to you what Paul, the Apostle Paul says he sort of works this out for us in Ephesians chapter 2 Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in our passions and our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins and we can't even hear the voice of the Son of God until we are first made alive by the Son of God. And being made alive by the Son of God theologians would call that the doctrine of regeneration and the, the hearing the voice of the Son of God theologians would call that the doctrine of effectual calling it, it, in other words you can you can the, the voice of Jesus comes through the Bible when we read it the voice of Jesus comes to us when you hear the gospel preached rightly but unless the call is effectual, it means nothing. In other words, you can call to someone, but if they don't hear you, it doesn't work. So for example, when Judy and I pray for our grandchildren, I mean, we pray for our kids every now and then, but the grandchildren, we don't pray that God would call them. We don't pray that God would save them. We pray that God would effectually call them. In other words, that He would make them alive, and open their eyes that they might see him, because seeing him, you can't help but embrace him. That's what we pray. And you know, it's, it's interesting. When I was in Atlanta, this is a great—it's tr- uh, not a trick; it's a, it's a great technique. If you want to engage someone with the gospel, or if you want them to leave you alone, it's a win-win either way. When I was in Atlanta, my my buddy Paul and I used to go out to lunch every Friday. This was about 25 years ago. And in Atlanta, for some reason, I remember all the servers, the, the waitresses, they are all very chatty. And they would always say, So, what do y'all do? And I would always respond, Work with dead people. And, and either they would say, Really? Tell me more about that. And I would say, Well, you know, we're all dead in our trespasses and sin. I'm off the race of sharing the gospel. Or they would find it incredibly creepy and they'd say, Oh, good. And they'd just walk away. <laughs> either way, I win but at the end of the day that's the truth that all of those with whom we rub elbows with they're dead in their trespasses and sins and unless they hear the voice of the Son of God and put their faith in Him they will perish in their sins in fact I notice in verse 25 Jesus says um, truly truly an hour is coming and now it, or 24 He says truly I say to you whoever hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has eternal life and he who does not comes into judgment he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life so it, in some ways what jesus is talking about here is again this we're getting sort of in this theological realm it's, it's this realized eschatology and what do i mean by that remember i said the end times was was what this whole like the day of judgment coming jesus is saying that has come now that the end times that you're looking for has come now And that at the end time, salvation that you were looking for has come now. And basically, I'm the one who is bringing it. And depending on what you do with me is how you will experience life now and how you will experience it in the end. Now, in case they're thinking, you know, "Mm, this guy's crazy. I'll take my chances with God the Father. I'll just wait until the end. Because I don't really trust this guy. I don't really believe him. But in the end, I'm going to trust in my own goodness. I'm going to trust in my own righteousness. And in the end, I'm going to stand before God the Father. I don't need this Jesus guy. Well, he's got something for those people as well. Because Jesus is not only the perfect son. He's not only the one who gives life. But Jesus is also the final judge. I mean like the final judge. When we talk about great white throne judgments or whatever kind of judgment your tradition uh, is familiar with, the one who is sitting on the throne at the end is Jesus himself. That had to be incredible for these rabbis to hear. Notice what he says. He says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Verse 27, And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So that's a pretty big claim, that the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Another way to put that is worship. That the reason the Father has given all judgment to the Son is that all may worship the Son. And He says, if you don't worship the Son, or if you don't honor the Son, you do not honor the Father who sent Him. In other words, because Jesus and the Father are... are Perfectly in sync, because the, Jesus and the Father are one. What, Je, what Jesus sees the Father doing, Jesus does. What the Father does, Jesus does. That Jesus now, as judge, you cannot say, I'm going to not honor Jesus, but I am going to honor the Father. I'm going to reject Jesus, but I'm, I'm going to embrace the Father. Jesus is saying, you can't. You, get, you either take them both, or you take neither one. You If you do not honor the Son, then you do not honor honor the father imagine jesus saying that to the religious leaders there that unless you embrace me unless you honor me like you would honor god you are not honoring god and in the day you will face judgment for it and then guess who's going to be there as judge me i'm going to be honest with you that sounds a little crazy unless it's true that's what jesus jesus continues i mean picture this that Jesus comes, you're you're one of the rabbis, Jesus comes to seek and save the lost, he comes and lives the life you should have lived, he dies the death, you should have died, and you say, you know, you hear preaching of the gospel, trust Jesus to to be forgiven of your sins, and to have a relationship with God, and you say, nope, I'm going to take my chances. And then you die, and then you go to heaven, and you come before God the Father, and you say, I'm here, God, and look at all these things I've done, and you just start listing it out, and God's just like... you're like what he's like talking to the wrong guy you're like what do you mean he's like yeah you you should be talking to jesus right now he's the judge the one who lived the life that you should have lived the one who died the death that you should have died the one who rose from the dead he's the one ultimately who's going to judge what you did with him so go talk to him you see you the, the problem with jesus is you can't avoid him you can't avoid him now, or you can. And you definitely can't avoid him in the end. In the end, it, you ultimately will be dealing with him. So why not now? Why not trust him now? Basically, Jesus says, "I'm the judge. Will you take the mercy I extend to you? Will you, will you embrace it?" I mean, think about it. Jesus is not just. The Savior whom God sent, Jesus is the judge who is giving him life up for the people who deserve to be convicted of their sin. And how, how can Jesus be judged? You have to imagine people, the, the people there are like murmuring amongst themselves and they're becoming more and more shocked. And Jesus, I love it. He said, don't marvel at this. Don't 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 be amazed at this. He says the reason that that's the case. And notice he says, um, In verse twenty eight, he said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, and now is when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice come out. Wrong verse. Just as they are Verse 27, he says, He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now that phrase right there is like loaded for the Jewish people. When Jesus says he's given him the authority to judge because he is the son of man, he's not saying because he is also human. The Son of Man is a technical term, at least in the Bible. And the Son of Man comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And Daniel has this vision in chapter 7. And he sees the Ancient of Days on a throne. And he sees all these magnificent things happening and all the creatures coming and going. And then it picks up, verse 13, he says, in chapter 7 of Daniel, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying, the reason that I have the authority to judge is because that Son of Man, who received glory and majesty and dominion and honor and will receive service and worship from every people and every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, is me. I am the Son of Man. And because I'm the Son of Man, I have the authority over everything. God has given it to me, including to be the judge. And he sort of concludes with basically with this. That what are th- that, that basically? Here's where all this is headed. Look at um, verse 28. He says, "Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, and those who have done good to a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment." So he sort of ends with like good news and bad news, right? So the good news is you're all going to be resurrected. <sighs> uh-uh. The bad news is some of you will be resurrected to life and some will be resurrected to judgment. You all will be raised. The question is, will you be raised to to life or raised to judgment? What does it take to be raised to life, he says? Those who have done good will be raised to the resurrection of life. Now, is he saying um, those who have done good works, those who have earned it? Absolutely not later a couple verses later in chapter six he's talking to people who ask him like what do we need to do what works do we need to do to inherit eternal life and jesus said to him verse 28 of chapter six they said to him what must we do to be doing the works of god and jesus answered them this is the work of god that you believe in him in whom he sent that's it those who have done good those who have done the work of god what is the work of God? The work of God is to believe in Him whom He has sent. For those people, they will be raised to a resurrection of life. Even now. Even now, you will experience health and hope and healing. For those who do not, they will be raised to a resurrection of judgment. Now the question is, which would you rather have? Which resurrection would you rather experience? Because the choice is ours now. Will we... Will we choose that ultimately we will be resurrected unto life because we have trusted Jesus in this life or will we take our chances that's what question I leave you with right now let me pray for us Father I do pray that you would, um, you would open our eyes if they are dead I pray that you would uh, wake us where we are sleepy I pray that you would um, give us zeal that most of the world around us most of the people in our neighborhoods around us um, don't know any of this It's this message, it's this voice that we have that we can bring. I pray for our church that we would bring that to our community. In Christ's name we pray these things, amen and amen.